Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, all you guys. Hi, you guys. My name is Lisa Cronkey, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is June 2nd of 07. So um, Kelly and I today are going to go over chapter two, and I'm going to go first for the first half. Um, so let's just dive into it because there's a lot to cover um, for this chapter, I mean, there's always a lot to cover, like what chapter isn't really good. (laughs) You could say that about any page or any word, but all right. Chapter two, there is a solution starts on page 17. I'm going to start reading through this and then, um, commenting uh, as we go. Some of this stuff in the beginning is a little dry, but we'll get into the bottom of the page real quickly. All right, there's a solution. We of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once as just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved the drink problem. We are average Americans. One of the things I want to point out as we go through this chapter is look how many times Bill points to the word recovered. He talks about hopeless and he talks about recovered. It's got like mental and physical all in the same sentence. And then kind of, he refers to them together. Usually not one word without the other. We are average Americans. All sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix. No kidding. There exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness and understanding, which is indescribably wonderful. We are like the passengers of a great liner, the moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never hold us together as we are now joined. So I want to stop there for a second because he's talking about what he's talking about here is that the reason why we're all in this joyous state of mind is not because we were rescued. It continues because we continue to do the work and our joy grows. If you're um, rescued from the Titanic, you're happy that you're rescued and then you move on and you move on to life. But here, our joy grows as we walk through the journey. The other thing that's really important here, and this is the first time he really starts talking about it, is that the common solution is not the problem. The problem is not what holds us together. The problem brings us together. But he says that in itself would not, would never, never hold us together as we are now joined. So in the second paragraph, he's going to start talking, to talk, talking about what joins us forever. You hear in a lot of meetings, people start talking about drunk logs for 45 minutes and they don't get into the solution because the drunk log is entertaining, but that's really not what holds us together. He talks about it here. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree. We have um, a pot on which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this This is the great fact for us. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with my computer? Okay, this is the great fact. Um, this is the great fact. This news, uh, news. This book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. All right, this is really important here because it's a unified solution. We have different consequences, but it, this solution unifies us. I know that today, and I was, I experienced this in Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a lot of opinions in meetings. There was a lot of um, advice in meetings. There was a lot of weird stuff that was not in the big book. So the common solution is not found in meetings. The common solution is found in the big book. And my opinion, this is my opinion, so you can disregard it, 
is that if everybody, if every AA meeting and every um, person that really works the program would go by this, we would have a 75% recovery rate like they did back in the day when everyone was going through the big book. I think today alcohol is the same. Nothing like that is changed. What's changed is the meanings and what's changed is the message um, that we're hearing because this book um, is unified. It has a unified and common solution here. So they talk about that over and over and over again. Um, all right. Different consequences, same problem, but very, very common solution. All right. An illness of this sort, which we've come to believe is an illness, involves those of us in no way, no which other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, we're all sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness for which there goes an annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all of those who touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents, and anyone can increase this list. We hope this volume will inform and comfort those who are or may be affected. There are many. Highly competent psychiatrists who dealt with us have found it sometimes impossible to persuade an alcoholic to discuss the situation without reserve. Strangely enough, wives, parents, intimate friends usually find us even more unapproachable than do the psychiatrist and the doctor. Quick thing here, when we're talking about cancer, we talk about the illness and people do feel sorry for us or people do feel sorry for people who have cancer and some of the things that happen with those kinds of illnesses. The thing that cancer patients and diabetics don't have is the behavior. What makes us different, this illness model different, is the behavior that we have and the consequences that we have once we get drunk. So that's where a lot of the shame lies. So the best part of that is how we can make that into a beautiful thing is that's the only thing that when I'm sitting in front of a woman, my experience, that's why she trusts me. All of the stuff that I've done in the past, God removes the shame once I share it with another woman. What people who have cancer and who have diabetics, they don't walk around shame that they have cancer. They don't have it. There's no cancer stigma, but the stigma related to alcoholism and the why everyone's so angry with us is not because we have alcoholism. It's because of what we do once we, even in sobriety, I was my meanest and my most horrible when I was sober without a solution. So the interesting thing about the difference is that we can use those horrible things that we did or we went through as experience to help another alcoholic. And that's how we continue this journey. And that's why it becomes joyful as it talks about on the page before. Okay. Let's talk about, Hey, this is really an important paragraph right here because this talks about, um, anyway, let's get into it. Singleness and purpose. But the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, there little or nothing can be accomplished. That is exactly what I was talking about. Because that right there talks about, it's about sponsorship, but that's literally about how we can get through to another um, human being. In the doctor's opinion on page 28, it talks about depth and weight, 28 in Roman numerals. It talks about depth and weight. This paragraph is the definition of what they're talking about, depth and weight. Frothy emotional appeal, my family, my children, therapists, the doctors, depth and weight, alcoholic described here. I've got no financial gain, whether you get sober or not. I'm literally doing what step 12 is telling me to do. So this is a huge um, paragraph and it goes right back to sponsorship. All right. But the man who is making the approach that the man who's making the approach has had the same difficulty. He obviously knows what he is talking about and has his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that this is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing whatever except a sincere desire to be helpful. There is no fees um, to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are conditions we have found most effective. All right, a couple of really important things there. One, um, singleness of purpose, the same difficulty, and that there is um, 
no holier than thou. This is really speaks to sponsorship to me that I'm not going to say, I can't believe you relapsed or listen to what I have to say because I'm so important and so big. We're walking shoulder to shoulder. And this is literally about walking shoulder to shoulder with a new prospect. I'm a drunk too, just like the person who's a newcomer. Um, I have no more power today than I did 13 years ago. This is literally, we are one walking side by side. All right. Next page. None of us makes a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. We feel that the elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. All of us spend much of our spare time in the sort of effort which we are going to describe. A few are fortunate to be situated um, that they can give nearly all of their time to the work. They're not talking about newcomers here. They're talking about all of us. Um, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. This is only a beginning. Rehab, getting sober, that literally is the starting gun to a lifetime of recovery. That's why there's such a big difference between sobriety and recovery. And we all, not just the newcomer spends all their time. We spend all of our time, all of our spare time, as much as we can in helping other alcoholics so that we can stay healthy for everyone around us and fit ourselves. If we keep on, if we keep on the way we're going, there's little doubt that much good will result, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. Those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection of those close by by hundreds or dropping into oblivion every day. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. How then shall we present what is so freely given to us? We have been concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge, experience and knowledge of the steps, not experience, strength, and hope, or whatever that is, that talk about really specifically right here, that language. This should suggest a useful program for anyone considered um, concerned with the drinking problem. Of necessity, there will be discussion of matters, medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument, and we shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that the real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and respect for their opinions are attitudes, which makes us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend on our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. That's for us all forever, for every day. That's a huge statement. I refer back to that a lot when I'm sponsoring people and also for myself. <laughs> Constant thought of others. I am no different. Oh my gosh. All right. You may already have asked yourself why it is that all of us become so ill when drinking. Doubtless you are curious to discover how and why in the face of an expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered, right? See, he says hopeless. We have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you're an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may be asking, already asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done and we are going to in a detailed discussion. It may be well to summarize some points as we see them. All right. Now I am going to pop to the bottom of the page and start talking about um, the certain types of drinker, drinkers. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. There's a certain type of hard drinker. He may, he may be impaired. I don't know what is wrong with my computer. Hold on a second, guys. It keeps asking me. All right. Physically and mentally. Again, physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate, though he may find it difficult and troublesome and may even need medical attention. Look, I look exactly like my best friend drinking in a bar. We drink exactly the same. The difference is we don't quit the same. So there's a lot of hard drinkers in Alcoholics Anonymous. They were told to go there because they got a DWI. They were made to go there or they felt like they needed to go there because of their families and they stay there. 
which I don't understand that, but they stay there. But this describes the hard drinker that, um, that they don't have to do what we do to stay recovered. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Here's the fellow who is puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated, and he is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. That's why I don't talk to drunks on the phone. If a drunk woman calls me, I will not have a conversation with them because I know what I was like when I was drunk and I don't even, I'm in a blackout too. They're not going to follow direction. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen when someone's drunk. At least that's the way I was when I was drunk. Um, I don't know about you. He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in the res- this respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. Don't ever talk, say the word normie around me. Look, when I am not drinking and I have a solution, I am just, you wouldn't know even I was an alcoholic. So the only thing that makes me different from a normal person is I don't drink normally. That's it. That's it. I don't know if I'm perfectly well-balanced and sensible when I'm in recovery, but <laughs> that's what the book says. All right. Let's go to the next page. <clears throat> page 22 in the middle. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic as our behavior patterns vary, but this description should identify him roughly. Let's go to the bottom of the page. We know that, um, we know that while the alcoholic keeps from, from drink as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes alcohol, whatever into his system, something happens both in the bodily and the mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. Okay, we're about to get into some juicy stuff here. These observations will be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. So that's what they're talking about. All these previous pages from page one all the way up to page 23 here are talking about, they're talking about the allergy. They spend a lot of time on the physical part. Here, we start to transition to the mental obsession. We start to transition to um, the mental part of this disease, the obsession that we call it, right? Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic drinking bout creates. All right. I had some really horrible things happen as a kid. I had some not great things happen in my marriage, and I would use that as my trump card all the time, my excuse to drink all the time. But if you looked at me from a global standpoint or from a holistic standpoint someone standing outside looking at me and I would say but you would do this too if you had blank but does it really make sense to the person who's looking at me while I'm driving in a blackout with my kids in the car no it makes no sense no excuse has a plausibility that that, that's gonna make sense of that And, and but you know who it made sense to was me it made sense to me That's the mental, that's the delusion that this obsession um, presents to us in our heads. We literally believe our own um, truth. We believe that our own false, that um, that this time it's going to be different. So let's go on to talk about this. This is so awesome. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is he usually has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There's the obsession, 
That's the first time it's mentioned in the big book, the word obsession. There's the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. But they are often, um, they, are often sus- they often suspect they are down for the count. All right. I had all of these excuses. I don't know about you guys. I had so many excuses. And some of them are really plausible. It, it was crazy. Like, my next-door neighbor got murdered by her husband. I mean, all this weird stuff that was going on in my life that I would use these as excuses to drink. But then as time passed, I had a different set of circumstances, right? All those other circumstances were fixed or passed or time healed. And the interesting thing is I really did not know why I drank. The last rehab I went to, this doctor looked at me and he said, Lisa, why do you drink? And it was the first time I looked at him and I was completely honest. And I'd never been honest with it before because I was so desperate and I was just in a black place. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I don't know. I've got no more excuses, but can you help me stop? And he kind of looked at me and he smiled. I talk about this in my story all the time, but he looked at me and he smiled and, I, and he said, welcome to alcoholism. And I didn't know what he meant, and, he, and I didn't appreciate the smile. <laughs> and boy, uh, was he right. It was the first time I was honest, though, um, and that was the first part of my journey. The tragic truth is that the man would be a real alcoholic. The happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into the state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking has absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already practically arrived in every case long before it is suspected. What that means is the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case. The case is me. Long before it's suspected, everyone else around me suspected it, but I didn't suspect it. I was the last to come to the realization that I was an alcoholic. Everybody else around me did. It also refers to that. I'm not going to go forward on page 34 is a really good reminder of that too. All right. So this next paragraph, I call it the Holy grail of um, step one, the Holy grail of um, the mental part of it, because I believe that every time I'm doing step one, I have to read this paragraph because it goes to no choice. The, the, the physical part was about no control. And this part now, this paragraph is about no choice. So if I've got a newcomer and there's one page or one paragraph of, of this book that I can read to a newcomer, it's going to be this paragraph because it's so important. Um, that's how important it is. That's the way I was taught. All right. The fact is that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent um, and we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory, suffering, humiliation of even a week or a month ago without defense against the first drink. It is really an amazing paragraph because we all have that in common. Every alcoholic has this in common. And what it's talking about is that I may have willpower in other areas of my life. I still do today, but I have no willpower against taking the first drink. I always thought my third drink or my fourth drink was the problem. If I can just stop at four, I'd be good. What this is telling me is that the first drink is the problem and I have no um, defense against the first drink. Now, at certain times, I can push the drink away and I could, that's not everybody's story, but that's my story because gel sucked and I'm a gel girl. That doesn't make me an alcoholic. What makes me an alcoholic is I said, I would never, ever drink again, sitting in gel, never drink again. And then four or five days later, I was drunk. It happened to me. I was on gel on a Sunday. I was drunk by Thursday and those four days fear kept me sober because I didn't want to go back to jail. But on Thursday night, I decided, right? My mind told me that I didn't have an allergy, that it was going to be different this time. And I believed it. So at certain times, and it's not like I couldn't remember the consequences. I remember jail. Jail sucked. If you're in jail, you remember it, right? 
But it wasn't that I didn't remember it. It's just that it came into, it did not come into my mind with enough force to keep me from drinking on that Thursday night. And I picked up a drink, even though I said I would never drink again. And I meant it. I could have taken a lie detector test. So fear kept me sober. It's not the memory of the drinking that's going to keep me um, sober. It was fear. So until that's what exactly what kept me sober until I had the spiritual awakening this last time around. It wasn't like I had the spiritual awakening that for me, I had to continue to do the work and the spiritual awakening was gradual. It was profound. But in the beginning, this fear, knowing that I had no choice, that I was going to drink again, just like in Fred's story. And they told him, if you have an alcoholic mind like we do, you will drink again. And that's exactly um, my experience. The almost certain consequences that follow uh, taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they're hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare, right? Idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Look, I cannot put my hand on a hot stove because my mind will remember the consequences and I don't do it. It hurts, right? My mind is designed to protect me. I don't, I say this all the time if you've heard me talk, but I don't walk out on Central Expressway with cars going 80 miles an hour because my mind instinctively will protect me. But when my mind tells me after four days of not drinking, hey, I told them I wasn't an alcoholic. It's me talking to myself. I would never tell my family that. My mind tells me it's a good idea to take a drink, and it sounds like a good idea. It presents itself as a positive thing, not, oh, my God. It's like, hey, it's a good idea. And so my mind, instinctively designed to protect me, will convince me to take that first drink, and then it's off to the races, just like it talked about on page 29 in Roman numerals, the cycle. All right, so with that, I'm going to hand it off to Kelly. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my name's Kelly and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Um, so I'm just going to keep on reading. So um, the alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, it won't burn me this time. So here's how, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us begun to drink in this nonchalant way and after the third or fourth pounded on the bar and said to ourselves, for God's sake, how did I even get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink or what's the use anyhow. When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. So before um, I found the solution, while I was, um, before I recovered from alcoholism, uh, I was locked up in a behavioral health hospital. And while I was there, I had absolutely no problem not drinking because I was locked up and unable to leave. But, um, the, and, and I fully believed that I wouldn't drink again, um, because of the consequences that led me to that behavioral health hospital. But of course, the first thing that happened as soon as I got out was I went home and I searched everywhere just to make sure I, I wanted to see if there were any unopened bottles or open bottles of alcohol that I could find. Because even though just a few days passed while I was locked up, I told myself, I'm never going to drink again. I know what drinking has gotten me. I have um, completely forgot about those consequences. And I'm right back to looking for more alcohol that I can drink as soon as I get out of the behavioral health hospital. Um, so, um, you know, if I'm locked up, that's great. I won't drink. But as soon as I get out, what's going to happen? I don't have a solution yet. So, Thankfully, in this next paragraph, it says there is a solution. Um, and I love that it's followed by this. Almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which this process requires for its successful consummation. 
So that was kind of disheartening for me to read. I'm like, okay, here's a solution. But also none of these people, almost none of these people liked what they had to do in order to get the solution. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven and have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence, which we had not even dreamed. So it tells me that this this, um, process in order to become recovered requires self-searching. It requires leveling of my pride and confession of shortcomings. And it's required for successful consummation. So these things are required in order for me to become recovered. But I see that it has worked in other people. The person who came to me and approached me with this solution, and it, I didn't go seeking her out. She came and approached, she approached me. She came looking for a drunk person um, with this solution. So for me, as somebody who's worked through the 12 steps, um, it's my job to go out and search for other alcoholics. I don't wait for them to come to me. I go and I look for those alcoholics um, because that's what it's, it's telling me here. I was approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved. So therefore, I need to go and approach other people who need a solution. Um, there was nothing left for us to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Um, at the point when, when I was ready to, um, to start this journey, to start my recovery, I, I was, um, there was nothing left for me. Um, I ha- I realized that um, no other solution that I had tried and no other solution that I could potentially try would work for me because I knew from experience that um, nothing that I did worked. And so for me to see somebody else who um, had recovered from alcoholism and was happy about it, they were happy about not drinking, they didn't think about drinking, that was something that I needed. And this was kind of like a last ditch effort. Nothing else had worked. This had to work. Um, The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and our lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish all those, uh, all those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. And I actually wrote all above those because God, um, as I understand him, my higher power has accomplished for me everything in my life that I could not do for myself. Not just, not just overcoming alcohol, but overcoming my um, character defects. Um, all those things that I could not do for myself, um, my higher power has done. Um, if you are seriously as alcoholic as we were, um, and seriously alcoholic, it's not like um, if you drank as much as I did, or um, if you went to jail like I did, or if you got a DWI, or if you lost your kids or got a divorce. It's not that if you're seriously alcoholic. So if your body reacts to alcohol the same way mine does, which means if I put alcohol into my body, I start craving more alcohol. And if um, when you try to stay stopped, you you can't stay stopped. That's serious. That's as seriously alcoholic as I was. Um, We believe there's no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. Um, And life was becoming impossible because I couldn't manage my life with alcohol in it. Um, And I couldn't manage my life without alcohol in it. Um, uh, And if we had passed into the region from which there was no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. So there's no middle of the road solution. I have but two alternatives. One was to go through, uh, go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best as we could which was exactly what I was doing. Um, and the other to expect, uh, accept spiritual help, um, which was a difficult situation for me as an alcoholic, because what I was used to was alcohol as my solution for life. 
And so for me to be facing a different solution that I didn't know anything about, that was a tough decision. But like it said, um, I had come to uh, believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as I had been living it. Um, There was nothing left for us but to pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools. I had nothing left. And so I knew that, and my sponsor told me my way wasn't working. I needed to find a different way. And that different way was to accept spiritual help. Um, This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Okay. A certain, okay, we're getting into some uh, story. A certain American businessman had uh, ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. So he had, he had ability, he had good sense, and he had high character, but he also still floundered from one sanitarium to another. Um, he had consulted the best-known American psychiatrists. Then he had gone to Europe, uh, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist Dr. Jung, Young. Jung or Young? I never know how to pronounce that. Um, who prescribed for him? So, um, like, y'all have heard of, like, changing your, the people's, people, places, and thing, things, or whatever. So, this guy, like, moved from, like, up one continent to another in order to get help for his alcoholism. Um, Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good, so he felt real good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. So he he understood uh, himself. He he had a knowledge of his condition, Um, and therefore, having that knowledge, he he believed that. he couldn't relapse because he knew like, this is why I get drunk. And so, because I know this, there's no way I'm going to get drunk. And how many of us have, um, you know, abstained from alcohol for a certain amount of time because we knew the effect it had on us, but then again, ended up getting drunk again, um, knowing what we did. It says, nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time, more baffling still. He could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to his doctor, whom he admired, and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. So he thinks this is an issue with self-control. He wished above all things to regain self-control. How many times did I wish to myself I could just drink like a normal person? I wished I could just control how much that I drank. I wish I could control myself around alcohol. And here he is wishing above all things to regain some self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under a lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was the great physician's opinion. How awesome is that physician to just point blank tell him, you're hopeless, unless you lock yourself up, you're going to die. Um, But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. So he goes from being hopeless, the doctor telling him he's hopeless, he would have to keep himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard, to now he can go wherever free men go. So this man is free, um, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. So in order for this to work, he needs to do something. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with this doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recovered where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. 
Our friend felt uh, as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor. Um, yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exception to cases as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. So, um, okay, to me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of uh, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of uh, these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some uh, such emotional rearrangement within you. Many individuals, uh, with many individuals, the methods which which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. So what he's telling him is that he is, he is hopeless unless he has what is called a vital spiritual experience. And that word vital means, uh, I've written it in the margins of my book, it's life-giving when it happens and life-threatening when it doesn't happen. So it's, it is vital. Um, and it, it's talking about how... Um, my previous way of living, the way I had been living before, is suddenly cast aside. Um, and I begin living by um, like a different code. Um, it says um, a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So this just this becomes my new way of living because of my spiritual experience. Um, and for a little while, when I first started this program, I had no, I really didn't. And it's, it's really helpful because, um, in the back of the book, it tells you about what a spiritual experience is. Um, and I think I have time to read it even cause I've only got a couple pages left. So I'm going to go ahead and read what the spiritual experience is in the back of the book, if that's okay. Cool. Um, on page 567, um, it's a spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among many of us in different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is er erroneous, which was really um, relieving for me because um, when I started this program, I did not have the, um, like the thunderbolt, you know, uh, sun coming through the clouds, angels singing moment. Um, that's what I thought a spiritual experience was because like I grew up in the church and like, I, you know, I always heard of people, you know, God talking to them, um, like mountains crumbling stuff like that. And so I thought that like, it had to be this huge emotional experience. Um, but for me, it wasn't, it was much more gentle. Um, and in fact, um, I remember, um, I was riding on a bus on the way home from work and all of a sudden I felt like this huge peace wash over me, which was really strange because the bus is just so inconvenient. Um, and work was not fun at that time, but I just remember feeling this way. So after I got off the bus, I called my sponsor and, and I was like, I feel really good. Um, and I don't know if that means I'm getting like complacent or something, um, but I think that was part of my spiritual experience was just having this peace wash over me. Um, in the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics and transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. 
quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference of long uh aware of the difference long before he is himself um and it's it's funny um because i i do even recall my sponsor telling me that she would probably be able to see that i had a spiritual experience before i did um which is true uh for me he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound uh alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With a few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. You know, what a cool um, promise that is there in, in, uh, you know, in the index of this book. Any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Um, so that's just a little, that's the little index on uh spiritual experience, which I feel is really important to read if you're struggling with that concept. Um, so um, back now on page 27 with our American businessman. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor's Doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital uh, spiritual experience. So he was a good church member, um, but like we read before, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. So I need to be open and willing to... Um, a different spiritual experience than I'm used to if I'm already um, a churchgoer or a religious person. Uh, here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when we had the extraordinary experience, uh, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. We, in turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given, uh, given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. And I love this paragraph because that is so exactly what my alcoholism um, when I was in my cups felt like. Um, the desperation of drowning men, feeling the waters rising, that out of control feeling, and just grasping at straws. I didn't know. I... I didn't know if this program would work for me, but I saw that it had worked for these other people and for my sponsor. And that's what I had to grasp to. Um, and it turns out it, it was, uh, it was the solution for me. It, you know, it worked. Um, the distinguished American psychologist, William James, in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience, indicates a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. We have no desire to convince anyone that there is only one way by which faith can be acquired. If what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that uh, all of us, whether our race, creed, or color, uh, whatever our race, race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator with whom we, we may form a relationship upon Goodness, sorry, I'm having trouble reading words. Um, simple and understanding terms. As soon as we saw, as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try, those having religious affiliations will find here nothing dis 
disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There is no friction among us over such matters. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our members identify themselves with as individuals. This should be an entirely personal affair with uh, which each one describes for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such memberships. Um, so this is good news if you, um, you know, had gone into this program thinking, uh, you know, well, is like, is my religion okay to follow while I'm in this? Or, or do I need to, do I need to believe what these other people believe? No, because in the book, it tells you, um, that it's your own conception of God. And it's, um, it's a program open to all men, all women, um, people of all different creeds and religions and, um, and colors. And so it's, um, it's all inclusive. Um, in the following chapter, there appears an explanation of alcoholism as we understand it, and then a chapter addressed to the agnostic. Uh, many who were once in this class are now, uh, are now among our members. Surprisingly enough, we find such convictions no great obstacle to a spiritual experience. And how, what a cool, what, how cool is that, that um, I don't have to have uh, any previous particular faith in order to have a spiritual experience. Like, I don't have to know anything about religion. I don't have to have been raised in the church. I don't have to, um, you know, celebrate certain holidays or whatever. I can have a spiritual experience without having any knowledge on um, my higher power. So long as I'm willing um, to believe in a higher power. Um, So that's pretty cool. Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we uh, recovered which is awesome, clear-cut directions. So if I want to become recovered, all I need to do is read this book um, and it will show me how. It will tell me exactly how I need to become recovered. Um, These are followed by 42 personal experiences. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. Uh, these give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women, desperately in need, will see these pages, and we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too, I must have this thing. And so that's really um, the important part of us um, as recovered alcoholics to go out and um, seek other alcoholics so that we can share our stories with them, tell them how we drank um, so that they might be able to identify with us and say, oh, I mean, if that person you drank like I did and she's recovered, then I might be able to be recovered too if I just do what she does if I just do what she did. So, um, but yeah, that is, uh, the end of chapter two. Thank you. Thank you so much guys. Um, hang on one second. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.